Thanks, Lee. Morning, everyone. Hey, um, what I'm going to do today isn't really exactly a sermon so much as it is a heart-to-heart talk. Uh, I want to share some things with you that God's been putting in my heart regarding uh, our church body and some direction and some new things I see God doing and uh, some insights into the whole system. But I want to start off with a short joke, okay? I think we need a joke today. You agree? That would be good, wouldn't it? All right, so um, there was this old farmer lived out in the country, and uh, an insurance man came to him to try to sell him tornado insurance. And it took quite a while for this guy to understand what tornado insurance was. He just couldn't quite get it. And so uh, eventually the insurance uh, salesman said, well, remember I sold you fire insurance? And then a few years ago, your barn burned down. And because it burned down with fire, you had fire insurance. I came and I gave you money to build a brand new barn. And uh, the old guy said, oh, okay, well, I I get it now. And he said, well, yeah, he said, it's the same thing, except if a tornado knocks your barn down, I'd give you money to build a brand new barn. And so the the guy was tracking with it now, and the insurance man thought he had a sale. Uh, And he said, so you ready to sign the papers? And this old guy said, well, no. And he said, well, why not? And he said, well, I don't know how to start a tornado, It took you a second there. It probably was in the telling. Uh, We can't control the weather, can we? Yeah, it's been a rough winter, a lot of snow, and uh, lack of daylight and a lot of snow makes uh, this a tough time of year. But, you know, with, with Jesus in our lives, we just press through that. You know, we're, you're aware of that. You're aware of the fact that you need a little more sunlight and, and maybe we need to get outside and spring's coming and uh, we're confident of that and we're, we're happy about that. But uh, I want to start off today reading a story to you from the Old Testament. And uh, in this story, uh, we see uh, some incredible courage exercised on the part of a young man named Jonathan. He's the son of the king, King Saul. Uh, This is a point in time in Israel's history where they have their first king in place, and their their prime enemy is this group of people called the Philistines. And the Philistines have enslaved uh, the Israelites for decades, and now their new king, Saul, has uh, gone to war against the Philistines in order to free them from Philistine oppression. And so the two armies are out in the battlefield, and as armies would do in those days, they have have each uh, established uh, sites, uh, centers of where their army is, camps, and then they're, they're trying to decide what their next step is. And so we pick that story up then. It's in uh, 1 Samuel 14, if you want to read it yourself later. I think it's a great story for you just to read and meditate on, but here's what happened. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. And so there, it's a ravine. There's a sharp cliff on one side, small valley, and a sharp cliff on the other side. 
Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, that's what they called Philistines. Uh, Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And so they go down one side of this steep cliff. Steep cliff. They're in the ravine now. And so they're within easy sight of the enemy outpost. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up with me. The Lord's given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor, his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area of about half an acre. That tells us it was a furious battle. Then panic struck the entire Philistine army. Those in the camp those in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin, Saul the king of the Israelites, saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords Those Hebrews who had previously been uh, with the Philistines and had gone up with them to to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So the traitors returned to the Israelites. And when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So all those who had gone AWOL and were hiding in caves and Uh, little uh, alcoves they come out and they join the battle now too so it says on that day the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon all right let's pray and then we're going to look at some lessons God has for us uh, from this story father um, we're so thankful that over the course of history you have raised men and women up like Jonathan who had courage who were willing to trust you, who just simply had their eyes focused on you. That's all they were looking at. And were willing to step out into unknown risky territory simply based on your word. And thank you, Father God, that you are faithful to your word and you back people like that up because you're looking for people who will trust you and take risks for you. We thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are uh, four things I want to point out, four uh, really powerful lessons that we can gain from this story. And the first one was this, 
Jonathan had an abundance mindset. He had an abundance mindset. Now, Jonathan didn't look at uh, the situation from purely a human perspective. He knew there were only two of them. And the fact that he killed 20 in this initial, in this initial skirmish, uh, there must have been more than that there because you see the story, this panic fell upon the rest of the army and they fled. So I'm guessing there were at least 30, 40, maybe 50 men, 50 Philistines in this outpost. And yet what David, uh, what, what Jonathan did was looked to God and he made this statement. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And so Jonathan had this mindset, there, there, are, there are enough of us. Two against 40, that's enough. That's okay. That's enough when God's involved in it. And so he had an abundance mindset. Second thing was, all he was looking for was God's direction. That's all he needed in order to act. You know, if I was Jonathan, you know what I would have been praying for as a sign? How about you? What would you have prayed for as a sign that we're supposed to attack this outpost? I would have prayed for 30 or 40 more men. I would have prayed for a company of Israelite troops to come walking down that ravine and join me. Maybe a couple hundred. Because when you're attacking a stronghold like this, you, you have to have a superior force. And yet Jonathan, all he's praying for is just some sign that God's in it. All he needed to know was that God was in it. That God was directing him. And all of the human equations really didn't matter to him. You remember that place in uh, the New Testament where the angel is announcing to Mary that she's going to have a baby, the Messiah. And Mary says to her, well, how can that be? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That which is in you is going to be uh, the, the Son of God, kingdom never ending. And then he says this, he says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. That's in Luke one thirty-seven. if you want to look it up later and read it. Nothing is impossible with God. Literally, what that phrase in Luke one thirty-seven reads is, anything God says can happen. Any, any word God speaks is entirely possible to happen. And so what it's saying is that God speaks, there is power released in God speaking. And Jonathan knew that. He knew that if God spoke, if God showed them what to do, that God's power is being released. Third thing is this. He rejected the discouragement that the enemy threw at him. Did you hear what uh, the enemy said? You know, these, these uh, Israelites, they've come out of their holes. Look at them. Uh, you come up here, we'll teach you a thing or two. And these are hardened war veterans that are doing this. It would have been easy for Jonathan to, to question at that point. It would have been easy for him to step back and say, hey, is this, did I really hear from God? Is this really right? Am I crazy, right? Am I crazy by doing this? It would have been easy for him to do that. But Jonathan, uh, he didn't allow those discouraging words from the enemy being spoken in, in, into him, into his mind. He didn't allow those to sink into his heart. And he pressed ahead because he had confidence in who God is. Now, I want to say that any one of us, 
any one of us that are serving God, any one of us that are involved in drawing closer to God, uh, in seeking to just discover who God is, or, or maybe further along the path you've discovered who he is and you're really pressing into going out and sharing him with others and praying for the sick and ministering to other people. If that's you, then I guarantee you, you are going to have thoughts placed into your mind that are going to be discouraging and they're going to challenge your identity and they're going to tempt you to feel like giving up. Because we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, and that's what he does. He fires thoughts into our minds that we aren't worth it, that we aren't good enough. He fires, well, just this one simple thought here. I think this is a common thought that people struggle with. I'm different. There's something different about me. Now, I know God blessed that other person in their life, but I'm different, and I can't expect the same blessings from God. I know that other person prayed for this person and, and God showed up. God healed that person. God worked in their life, but I'm different. You know, I, I'm, somehow I'm different and therefore I am not worthy of God's blessing or of God's favor in my life. And I want to tell you that's a lie from the enemy. Jonathan resi- resisted the lies from the enemy and you and I have to resist the lies from the enemy. We have to say no to them and we have to reject them and focus our minds and our hearts on truth. Now, the fourth thing is this. This is key. Let me go back and review the first three. He had an abundance mindset. No limitations in what God can do in Jonathan's mind. He's not just looking at the circumstances. No no limitations for God. Second, all he needed was God's direction to act. All he needed was a word from God in order for him to press ahead and to act on uh, what, what he was uh, being led to do. Third, he rejected the discouragement of the enemy. And the fourth thing is this. As they pressed into this, they had this incredible victory we just read about. And what happened was that their boldness released the power of the kingdom into the entire battle. Their boldness that nobody else even knew about. King Saul... When he, he sees something happening, his lookout says something's going on. The Philistines are in confusion all over the field. They're running, they're retreating. And Saul had to say, well, who's missing? Who's gone? Someone's done something. Saul knew enough to know that someone had done something. But what Jonathan did, what his armor bearer did, broke open the power and the life of the kingdom into the whole battlefield so that the base camp, which is far enough away that they don't know what's happening out here in this outpost. Other outposts, it says patrols, groups that were out on patrol that had no contact. This fear came on all of them because what Jonathan and his armor bearer had done released the power of the kingdom of God into the whole situation, just directly, so that what you see here was actually just an incredible work of God. It says the earth shook, and literally it says there was a God shaking, a God shaking of the earth. Uh, And amazingly, those who had, had defected to the enemy, when they saw this happening, they returned. 
They abandoned the Philistines and they came back to the Israelites and started fighting for them. And all those other troops that had gone AWOL, that had deserted, that were hiding out, they returned to the battle as well. All of that because of Jonathan and his armor bearers' courage and boldness in what they did. Power of the kingdoms released. Now, here's a key thing. Uh, This is a picture for us today. How many of you know that, that when you read the Old Testament, you're not just reading stories about, about what happened then. You are reading, you're seeing pictures of how God works today in, in the reality of the kingdom life that you and I have. All those Old Testament stories are pictures of who God is and who we are and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and what he wants to do through us today. It is calling on our lives. So today, just as that natural story shows us a stronghold, today we face strongholds. Today, as we as the church press ahead with our mission, we face resistance. There's an enemy that we face. Now our mission is freedom. Our mission is to bring freedom to the lives of people people that are sick for, to, for, for people that are sick to be healed, for people that are depressed to be freed from that bondage, from people that are addicted. And you know, heroin addiction is a huge thing uh, t- currently today, even in our community right here in Colerain. It's a, it's a big thing. We as a church, our mission is to operate in the power of God so that heroin addicts can be freed from their addiction. So that people that have held bitterness against each other for years can release that bitterness, be freed from it, and marriages can be saved. So the people that have lived in poverty because of their mindset and and the things that entangle their hearts in life can be set freed and, and begin to operate in life in a new way. That's what we're here for. It's freedom. It's all for freedom. But the enemy that we have, the Bible calls him Satan... Uh, the adversary, his whole deal is to kill, steal, and destroy. So wherever we're preaching freedom, wherever we're moving ahead, offering freedom, and freedom, not just as a word, not just as as a series of steps that you go through, but freedom through the power of God. The same power that was released in this battle when Jonathan and his armor bearer stepped out and attacked that stronghold, Holy Spirit, kingdom of God, power. That's what we want. And that's what we want to operate in. That's what God's called us to operate in. The power of the kingdom to set people free. And so the enemy, however, where he sees peace, he wants to sow uh, despair. Uh, Where he sees hope, he wants to sow anxiety. Where he sees faith, he wants to sow fear. Where he sees boldness, he wants to sow timidity. And his approach is to attack our minds and to sow seeds of doubt in our minds so that we embrace them. And when we embrace them and we hold on to them, they become really strongholds in our being. They become strongholds in our hearts. If I believe that lie that I'm different, if I really believe that, and, and I allow that to sink into my inner being, into my heart. 
then that's, that's going to cut me off from so much of what God wants to do in my life. And I'm not even going to know it. It's just going to seem like a way of life to me. It's just an assumption on my part. What the Bible calls that is a stronghold. See, the Bible tells us that Satan has schemes, just like the Philistine army had schemes. They had attacks that they were trying to make against the Israeli army. And the enemy also has strongholds, just like the Philistine had that stronghold, that outpost that Jonathan attacked. So the enemy wants to form strongholds in our minds, in our lives. And strongholds are, are that wrong belief system that we embrace with our hearts. When we do that, then the enemy has this, this place in our lives that he can operate from, that he can impact us, that he can direct and hinder our lives through. That's called a stronghold. Now, if you want to read about that, read 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Now, he attacks us not just as individuals, but he attacks us as well as a church body, as a whole community. I mean, how, how many of you understand that there, there is a community heart, that, that there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit indwells us as a community of believers. He indwells us individually, but as we <clears throat> come together, he indwells us as a community of believers. In uh, the Gospels, <clears throat> it says that when Jesus went to Nazareth, he couldn't do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. You see, that town, that city, that had a community heart their unbelief. There was a spirit of unbelief in that community, a stronghold of unbelief in that community. The book of Revelation, Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven churches, and he addresses those churches as a whole. He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't give individual words to each person. He talks to the whole church and to the heart of the church. And, and he addresses the stronghold that's in each of those churches, tells them how to break that stronghold and how they can be freed from it and how they can move ahead into greater power and greater authority and in, uh, in, in fulfill everything that God's calling them to and that God wants to do through them. Now, the enemy's goal, again, is to establish strongholds of unbelief. Now, here's what the Lord's revealed to me recently. Uh, it's, it's, it was kind of like, a, like well, I should have seen this before, but uh, it, it, it happened as I was praying with my advisors, and Dave and I had a meeting with, with the uh, pack, and we're praying, and, and um, here's what came to me, that we as a church body have allowed not a stronghold of uh, abundance, not an abundance mentality, but we have allowed a scarcity mentality to form at the heart of our church. And an abundance mentality, as Jonathan illustrates, says, oh, God says do that? Yeah, we can do that. Let's go for it. That's an abundance mentality. Are you sure that's what God wants us to do? All right, let's do it. Let's go for it. That's an abundance mentality. If God wants this to happen, he'll make it happen. If God wants, we'll have the time. We will have the people. 
We'll have the resources and the money to do that if God wants that to happen. Now, in our own lives, I think it, it bears uh, saying that we, we struggle with this as well. Scarcity versus abundance. And I, I believe one of the things God wants to do today is to free many of us from a scarcity mentality. A stronghold of scarcity in our lives individually. He wants to free us from that. But he wants also to free our church body from a scarcity mentality. And with a scarcity mentality, uh, the, the question is that there's, there's just never quite enough. There's just never quite enough. Uh, it's the fear that, well, well, what happens if we do that and there's not enough? There isn't enough time, energy, people, we don't have the, or, or money to do that. And it shows up more in the area of money than anything else. I mean, it shows up in time and energy too, but it shows up in the area of money. Now, what we need to realize is that as Jonathan had this abundance mentality, that there is an abundance, that God provides for everything he wants to have us do, that we recognize that we are called to an abundance mentality. That's what God calls us to. In fact, in Philippians 4.19, uh, the Apostle Paul said this to the Philippians. This was after they had sent a gift to him that uh, had, had helped him in his ministry. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now listen to that. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, just let, let that sink into your heart, into your mind, and into your heart. God is going to meet your needs. Do you know what the condition is? As Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, and he's talking about food, clothing, shelter, just the, the central needs of life, all these things will be added to you. So he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. That's in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Jesus says this, an abundant mentality flows with a commitment to fulfill what God wants us to do. Just like Jonathan, all he wanted to do was what God wanted him to do. God, if you say attack the outpost, we'll attack that outpost. We will do it believing you. And so that when, when you and I make the decision, God, I'm gonna seek you first in my life. I'm going to, more than anything else, I want to be who you want me to be, and I want to do what you want me to do, and I want to be part of what you're doing in the world. We recognize we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, who has a purpose for this world, and he's invited us into that purpose. And every one of you sitting here today are Jonathans. Every one of you are. Every one of you here. God has strongholds for you to tear down that will advance the kingdom of God. But we, when we recognize I have a father in heaven and he wants me to join with him in fulfilling his will for this earth in breeding, bringing freedom to people through the power of his son, Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, which is released through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we recognize that, then provision becomes a, a secondary issue. Then provision becomes, well, uh, well, of course, I'm working for my dad. 
my dad owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he's going to provide for me. I'm in the family business, and he's going to provide for me. And there's a confidence that comes into our hearts, and, 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 and we begin to develop this uh, abundance mentality rather than a, a scarcity mentality. And um, the, the abundance mentality, is, it's just simple. It's what does God want to do? All right, we're going to press into that. Now, both of these mentalities um, still balance checkbooks, okay? Don't want don't to make you think that, this is, that the abundance mentality is careless. It's not. It's not. You still balance checkbook. You still operate on the, on the basis of a budget. You're still wise and you think through things in, uh, in your spending. But in an abundance mentality, the first question is not, do we have enough money to do it? In a scarcity mentality, there's a nervousness. And the first question is, do you have enough money to do that? In an abundance mentality, the first question is, is that really what God wants us to do? Wow, if, that, if that's really what God wants us to do, let's find the resources. Let's look. Let's see. And then if the resources aren't there, an abundance mentality says, well, are we sure we've got the thing God wants us to do? Are we sure we're moving the direction God wants us to go? And, and it, it trusts and it prays and it moves ahead. But um, th- there is a difference here. Uh, but nevertheless, both of them, I want to affirm, balance checkbooks, operate on budgets, think wisely. Uh, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement back in the late 70s and 80s, he said, I want people who can heal the sick, cast out demons, and balance a checkbook. Okay, so there's, there's, uh, there's a practicality to all of this. But the mindset of abundance presses in when the mindset of scarcity is going to hold back. The mindset of abundance says, yeah, we can do that. The mindset of scarcity in fear doesn't, doesn't even step into the arena because of the anxiety in the heart over there not being enough. There not being enough time, not being enough energy, and uh, particularly not being enough resources. Now, here's the deal. God has been in the process of breaking this stronghold in our church. Uh, he has been. And um, it, it, we've, we've had some things happen recently that uh, are, are just tremendous. Um, well, a highlight recently. You know, I've, I've, I shared recently with you that we hired two young men to work in the area of young adult ministry. I want to tell you that story again as to how that happened. Uh, right over here, Wilson Cochran, who's just standing right there, and Luke Hazelmeyer. Um, Luke, um, I, I had up here last week. Um, we saw God working in this area of young adults last fall. I mean, it was obvious God's doing something. And, and then God started to kind of bring this together where, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we could have Luke and Will working on our staff in the area of young adult ministry. And God was bringing that together. It was very clear. But when we looked at the budget, the budget that we have projected did not allow for that. There just wasn't room in it. And of course, we're projecting ahead in the budget, and we do that, and pretty accurate in that. But, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, none of it has, we haven't received any of it yet, and the money we're planning on spending for the next year. But in this case, the budget just didn't allow for it. We had a meeting. And uh, as we left the meeting, 
the, the final statement in the meeting was, we're going to hire these guys, even though it doesn't make sense, because God's leading in it. God's saying, do it. God's saying, we see the move of God in this. And so left the meeting that way saying, God's going to provide. Well, the very next week when I had Luke speaking, someone in our church body, God spoke to them three times during that service saying, you need to get behind this. You need to support this. You need to do something. Three times, three separate times very clearly. And that individual spoke to their spouse on the way home and the spouse confirmed it and said, yeah, I'm with you. I agree. We need to do something. And uh, they came in that week and gave up, in this case, a large gift, significant enough for covering salaries for the, the next 12 months. And I mean, th- that was just incredible. But then another gift came in that covers uh, really the operating expenses for the ministry uh, for the next year. And uh, so this whole thing was a matter of us saying, we're going to do this, even though it doesn't make sense. Kind of like Jonathan saying, all right, we're going to climb up this side of this cliff and we're going to attack this outpost because God's telling us to do it. And then God steps in and uh, does something. I mean, this was all above and beyond this couple's normal giving, above and beyond their normal giving. And it's just an incredible thing for us to see. Now, when things like that happen, I see that and I say, God's doing something, not just in young adult ministry, but God's doing something to free us into whatever level there's a scarcity mentality. Uh, God wants to free us and move us ahead in that more into an abundance mentality that what God wants to do, he can do that what God wants to do, he's going to provide for Now, uh, a week ago at this time, I was planning to give a message purely on giving. And what I was going to do in this message was to lay out before you sort of a challenge, an opportunity. And I was going to say that the young adult and their, uh, their operating expense account is, has been filled, is full. It's, it's, it's complete. But that other operating expense accounts like um, teen ministry, children's ministry, um, and volunteer ministry, you know, we did not have enough money in the budget to give them what all they were asking for and, and allow them to do everything they wanted to do this year. So I was fully planning to come out and to announce um, a, a giving uh, opportunity where you could give specifically to one of those different funds to help fund those. But at a meeting with my advisors last Wednesday, which I've already referred to, where we prayed about this whole idea of scarcity, and we had a powerful time praying about it, and, and God clearly led me to, to talk to you about this this morning instead of uh, purely about giving, and to, to say we're, we're in the process of breaking this stronghold, and that's what, that's what people do as they grow, and that's what churches do as they grow. This is not an unusual thing. Every church has stuff like this, and, and, and we're approaching it, and we're going to break this. It's already beginning to break. God's already been getting that work of breaking this. But here's why it's so important, because if we don't, then we diminish our authority 
to speak freedom into the lives of people that come here looking for Jesus, but they're coming with a scarcity mentality. If we, if we don't break this as a church body, then we, our authority to speak freedom to people in the name of the kingdom is diminished. And so here's what uh, we need to do. Uh, scarcity is inward focused. Okay, abundance is outward focused. Now, what the Lord uh, spoke to me was that we need to not only pray, but also take action like Jonathan did. And we need to take an outwardly focused action that is extravagant generosity. Something that goes outside us and no way benefits us. It's not like we could say, well, yeah, of course you did that right down the street from the church and we did that to advertise the church so more people will come. No, what we're talking about is doing something uh, between now and Easter Sunday to receive an offering that will be given away entirely to the poor and hurting outside our reach, outside our, our immediate area here. And uh, we're going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to participate in this, that we all get to participate in this, into giving above and beyond our normal giving, above and beyond the normal giving that we do. And by the way, that means if you haven't been in the habit of giving, then whatever you would give would be above and beyond your normal giving. So that, that's okay. But um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna give money to three different organizations. One of them that frees people from heroin addiction. Okay, heroin addiction is a huge thing. And uh, we're going to give money to a ministry uh, in our city that frees people from heroin addiction. We're going to give money to a ministry in India that takes young women in who are abandoned by their families because boys are more valuable and that raises those young women up and sends them to college and gives them careers. We're gonna, we're gonna, and, and they also, they go out into communities and they teach young Muslim women how to sew so that they have a means of support. We're gonna give money to that ministry. And then the third thing is this. Uh, the, the sex slave trade is uh, epidemic around the world. It's a horrific thing. And there is an organization that we can give to that will free children. They will actually buy them back from the sex slave trade. And we're going to give to that as well. And here's the thing. What God put on my heart uh, to, for, for us to do was for us to give the approximately what would be one month's operating expense for our church. That's around $80,000 or so. And so that's what the call is. We're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to give you the details of when we're going to do the giving. We're going to give you some ideas as to how to give. I mean, for some people, uh, it, it, this might be a $10,000 check. For other people, it might be a $10 check. Uh, for somebody, one person that might be giving up a vacation this summer. For another person, it might be giving up a large screen TV that you were planning to buy. Or it might mean giving up your daily latte and saving that money and bringing uh, the money in and giving it in order to free people from addiction, in order to free people from the ravages of poverty, in order to free children from lives 
uh, of slavery in, in this horrific sex trade. But uh, that's the number God gave me. Uh, can we do that? Um, can we do that? I mean, that, that's, that's what, uh, I, that, that's the number I believe God gave me. So can we do it? Let's pray, okay? Let's just pray. Let's pray and say, God, you do this. It's extravagant. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's extravagant. And yet, I believe we can do this. I believe that as we work together and as we, next week, we'll capture more of the essence and the heart of what all of this is. And, um, and, and later, I'll be praying for you, just praying for a release of new resources in each of our lives and ways for us to give that we haven't seen before. But um, uh, I believe we can do this, and it's going to honor God, and it's going to propel us ahead into a new era of the release of kingdom of God power into our lives so that we are free, and that we're going to have power to free others that come into this place. So, uh, Father, thank you for your goodness and your love and your empowering through your son, Jesus. I I do uh, just pray your blessing on the rest of this service as we worship you. And as we lift our hearts to you, let us do it with joy and uh, really experience your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going uh, to have communion in just a few moments. And um, in communion, what we're doing is celebrating the death of Jesus for us. We take the little cracker that represents his body, which he gave for us. And we dip it in the juice And that juice represents the blood of Jesus which was shed for us so that we could be free. We can live free of guilt and sin and we can enter into the fullness of kingdom blessings. And so this is a wonderful way to worship. The worship team can make their way up right now. Those are gonna, let's all stand, okay? And um, the um, communion servers can make their way back. And you can just, you can come and participate when you see the servers in their position.